Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this Goodwill Meditation Group webinar. Today, as I'm sure most of you know, is the Gemini full moon. And ever since 1952, the Gemini full moon has been observed as World on Vacation Day. So what we want to do is to take the opportunity of placing a focus on the day and on the role that invocation in general plays in the strengthening and mobilizing of goodwill in the world. We'll begin shortly with the goodwill meditation, um, which we'll do together. And that meditation culminates in the group sounding of the great invocation. Um, and this will be followed by some thoughts from Michael Galloway on the role that invocation plays in meditation. Michael and I will then offer some brief reflections on each stanza of the invocation. This will be followed by some thoughts from Dominic Dibble in London and Minza van der Velt in Geneva. And we'll conclude with time for sharing of insights and reflections with all of you who are on this call today. As I said, World Invocation Day has been observed since 1952 on the day of the Gemini full moon. People of goodwill around the world are invited to use the great invocation on this day as a way of focusing humanity's often unspoken call for light and love and spiritual power. It's a day when we can use the power of our imagination to visualize increasing numbers using the invocation. And we can also take actions to ensure that people of goodwill have an opportunity to see the text of the Great Invocation, because still the Great Invocation is not so widely known. But what's most important is that this is a day when there is a special focus on the concentrated use of the Great Invocation, and when particular attention is given to its meaning and its energetic sound and rhythm are pondered. It's a day for each one of us to really take responsibility to bring the invocation to fuller life. In his fine talk for the Gemini full moon meeting yesterday, uh, and there's a, I've put the a link in the chat box for where you can find a copy of the text. In his fine talk yesterday, Lawrence Newey reminded us of comments by the Tibetan teacher who was the source of inspiration in the Alice Bailey writings, and who was responsible for the text of the Great Invocation. The Tibetans suggested that if the Great Invocation is used rightly, it has the power to reorient the consciousness of humanity, stabilizing it in spiritual being, disrupting existing thought forms, and rebuilding fresh thought forms suited to and necessary for an interdependent age. And this is really something to ponder as we use the great invocation, especially today. For the thought life of humanity is clearly in a state of turmoil as more and more people seek out fresh pathways of thought and action in the world to transit into an increasingly interdependent age. As Lawrence noted yesterday, the vision of a soul-infused civilization is emerging from the fires of the present crises. It's quickening 
into a new planetary thought form of hope and renewal. And on World Invocation Day, as we lift this emerging thought form up to the source of all that is good and right, divine forces are called upon. And it's these higher potencies that can flow into human thinking and planning, shining a light on that which has up until now been largely unseen and unrecognized, shining a light on new vision, new sources of imagination. And so now, bearing in mind that we are working on the day of, on World Invocation Day, the day of the Gemini full moon, let's work together with the Goodwill Meditation Group. And although we're joining this call from all around the world, we have 135 of us, each in our own homes or our own places, we can imagine that where we use mantrams, we will sound them together, that we are one group sounding these mantrams, linked with others who are using this meditation outline and who may not be on this webinar. And so we work. Link up in thought with all the people throughout the world working with this Goodwill Meditation Group. And recognize that we are entering into and a part of a group of mind and heart, one group mind. Reflect upon the fact of relationship. Each one of us is related to our family. to our community.
to our nation. to the world of nations. to the one humanity made up of all races and nations. And together sound the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate 
and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Reflect upon your own and humanity's relationship with all beings who dwell in the higher realms of mind and heart. The spiritual hierarchy of saints, rishis, bodhisattvas, and masters, honored by all the world's religions and spiritual groups. Imagine all of us standing together within the center of the spiritual hierarchy, immersed in the consciousness of the heart of love. Some know this heart of love as the Christ. Others have different names for the one at the center. Maitreya, Dima Mahdi, the Kalki Avatar. Maintaining this high point of contact, let your thoughts reach out to include all members of the human family in whom the energy of goodwill is active.
silently we affirm in the center of all love I stand. From that center I, the soul, will outward move. From that center I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. Now visualize the energy of love flowing from the spiritual hierarchy through the men and women of goodwill and into the hearts and minds of all people, infusing them with goodwill and creating loving and harmonious human relationships. Meditate on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right human relationships, and restoring peace on earth. Realize that in doing this work, 
We are helping build a channel between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity, through which the energy of goodwill can flow, bringing unity to human thinking, enabling human beings to solve our problems and healing all differences and cleavages. And now linked in thought with men and women of goodwill all over the world. And today, recognizing this is World Invocation Day, say the great invocation in the adapted version with deliberation and full commitment to its meaning, knowing that in so doing, we are radiating its potent energies to humanity. from the point of light within the mind of God. Let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race. Let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth.
Thank you, Steve. So as Steve mentioned at the beginning, um, I'm gonna give just a short presentation now on the role of invocation and meditation. And then Steve and I will um, take the invocation stanza by stanza and just help to elucidate its meaning just a bit before um, we go into our group discussion. And so as we consider the role of invocation, it's important to recognize that it's not just something that we do or perform. It is in fact a characteristic that is innate in all forms of life in all kingdoms in nature. Invocation is a natural urge towards divinity that underlies the entire evolutionary process and it keeps all forms moving towards their spiritual destination. For example, in the seed, this urge is what drives it to sprout and to arise out of the soil and to avail itself of the rays, the life-giving rays of the sun. In the human kingdom, this urge, this invocative urge is the drive towards the attainment of knowledge and understanding. On the spiritual path, it becomes or expresses itself as the urge towards wisdom. Eventually, it awakens the will to sacrifice. This is merely the direction of one's life intention to the fulfillment of a purpose greater than oneself. All forms of invocation seek to establish a rapport between some aspect of divinity and its phenomenal expression. This establishes what could be called a great chain of hierarchy or a great chain of communication between all kingdoms in nature, and at the same time, also between every form and its indwelling life. This chain extends from the mineral, plant, and animal kingdoms through the human to the superhuman kingdoms and even includes the planet itself or the one in whom we live and move and have our being. In the human kingdom, invocation becomes a consciously voiced appeal to divinity. Like all forms of invocation, it arises from below and when sufficiently focused, evokes a response from some greater power from above. The invocation of humanity as a whole, which is the planetary center of divine expression, seeks to evoke a response from the hierarchy, the spiritual hierarchy, which is the planetary soul and what Christians refer to as the kingdom of God. When the invocative demand of humanity is adequate, hierarchy can and does act. It has done so countless times throughout human history and continues to do so even today. Meditation is one of the preeminent means of focalizing this appeal to divinity. And today meditation takes numerous forms. Most are undertaken with at least some degree of invocative intent in mind. Many people use meditation as a way of establishing rapport with the soul or the master in the heart, however they understand that aspect of the self. This is definitely invocative, 
for it seeks to evoke a response from those aspects of the self which are present, yet latent and unexpressed. Other forms of meditation may make a more direct appeal to divinity, for example, to one of its great representatives, such as the Christ or any other of the world's saints or bodhisattvas. Underlying these forms of meditation, underlying all these forms of meditation, there is a common theme. There are common themes of communication and union, unity, unification, with the mind being the preeminent means of establishing both. The mind is the organ of vision. It is the mind that discerns truth from falsehood. It is the mind that knows and thus can integrate and understand. And it is the mind in its higher aspects that redeems, that elevates all forms, and even becomes a channel between the inner world of spiritual realities, and the outer world of human expression. The mind, and particularly the soul, which is sometimes referred to as the son of mind, is the preeminent linking agent. It is therefore central to establishing communication, and eventually union between the inner and the outer, between the soul and its mechanism, between intuitive truth and some ideal within human consciousness, and of course also between hierarchy and humanity. The science of invocation and evocation seeks to establish a magnetic rapport between all three aspects of the mind, and in doing so builds a two-way bridge upon which the fire of mind can pass, described esoterically. And by way of this bridge, the ascending radiance of the soul-infused personality, it's the invocation, the upward appeal, and the descending illumination of the spiritual triad, evocation from above, can pass without any obstructions. The construction of such a bridge is, requires an advanced um, training in meditation requires many, many years of practice. However, what's important to realize is that the beginnings of this bridge are begun as soon as the man or woman first sets their feet upon the spiritual path. And this may not even be necessarily what many refer to as a conscious spiritual path, but merely a direction towards service, towards serving human need, towards serving a purpose greater than oneself and towards really those spiritual ideals which embody um, the spiritual truths of the coming age. And with this in mind, we can see that today humanity itself and as a whole is beginning to set its feet upon this path, beginning to experience this sort of reorientation. And this definitely does help to establish a bridge between humanity and hierarchy. The Tibetan refers to this bridge as a process of social evolution. This emphasizes the necessity to apply that which is attained through spiritual study and meditation, always to some form of service. As many of us know, the Aquarian age will be a time for group work, for group consciousness and group initiation. And though the success of individuals upon this path is significant, it is not the shining achievement of the era which is now beginning. 
The task before all serious spiritual seekers today is thus the lifting up and um, the rebuilding of the shrine of human living. And everyone in their own unique way in when, and in whatever environment they find themselves and what other, when, in whatever field of service they find themselves can contribute to this great global task. Today, humanity is striving like never before towards those spiritual ideals which will govern the coming age. And what is so remarkable about the many movements and human consciousness that are today emerging in every field of human endeavor is the focused intent, is the intensity of desire and the willingness to see the needed changes work out no matter what. The qualities of striving and intensity are so central to effective invocation. These qualities, of course, must be tempered by a sense of proportion, by a vision of the whole, and a willingness to compromise to ensure that the foundations for the coming age are built. And one can see these more mature qualities alive today in ever-increasing measure. So one of the definitions of meditation is that it is simply creative thought. One can imagine that the work of world salvage which is occurring today is like a great meditation in which many thousands of intelligent men and women of spiritual intent and goodwill are taking part. World Invocation Day is a day to honor the invocative intent of all world servers, regardless of their political or religious affiliation, or whether they work esoterically, or whether, quite frankly, we think their work is sound or misguided or impotent. Today is instead a day to affirm the reality of the invocative spirit of humanity as it is being focalized through united human thought and human action. Does many of you know, on this day, we are all asked to use the great invocation, either it's original or adapted forms. And in this webinar, we do always use the adapted version. Of course, people are free to use either version that they wish. This adapted version was created and was designed to make the mantra as accessible to a wide selection of humanity as possible, while at the same time making the minimum changes to its mantric quality and meaning. And so now, uh, Steve and I will briefly just go through each stanza of the invocation, just to share um, a bit about each of them, just to highlight its, its underlying meaning and prepare us for our discussion period. So the first stanza, which is now on your screen, seeks to invoke light from within the mind of God. It is a demand that this light stream forth into human minds so that the qualities of intelligence, of understanding, of spiritual truth, of all those qualities which we call the soul will be present on earth. It's important to recognize that when the human mind is rightly directed with understanding, with right intent and oriented towards the world of spiritual realities, it is automatically put in rapport with the mind of God. This itself is a form of invocation.
Thank you, Michael. Steve, so you can take a stanza two whenever you're ready. Okay. So, from the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. During the goodwill meditation, we visualize the energy of love flowing from the spiritual realms, the heart of God, through the men and women of goodwill and into the hearts and minds of all people. And this is the essence of the second stanza of the great invocation. The final line concentrates this call for love to stream forth into human hearts, focuses in it into a call for the coming one, the Christ, the Maitreya, Krishna, Bhakti, for this coming one to return. In other words, for the fire of love for the soul in each one of us to be fully present in and through the human, manifesting in an appearance of a great being who will bring, bring a new revelation about the nature of love and will. This downflow of love and appearance of the Christ burns away all barriers in human nature, all separating walls between individuals, groups, and nations. And we can think of this invocation to potencies of love as a call for the spirit of relationship and the sense of connection to human beings and to all of life as a call for this spirit to be stimulated and empowered within us and within the whole human community. Michael. The third stanza invokes the unerring will of God so that it might guide humanity onto the straight and narrow path, away from selfish intent and into the life of the greater whole. It's important to recognize that the will is what implements divine purpose. And today this purpose is at best only vaguely sensed by humanity. Yet this stanza still indicates direction, still indicates that direction and alignment is possible. And this requires the consecration of one's personal intention towards the good of the whole. One of the highest yet most common invocations of the will, which is familiar, familiar to many of us, is contained in the words spoken by Christ. Father, not my will, but thine will be done. Nothing can arrest or stop the working out of this will, for the will is power itself. And at most, it can only be delayed. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. This plan of love and light working out through the human race, through the human family. It draws on and focuses attention on humanity's sense of anticipation about future possibilities. 
humanity's ability to imagine future possibilities. This draws human consciousness into the energy of the plan as it exists in the mind of God and the heart of God. It's a sense of the shrine of human living being rebuilt as being something ordained within the future of the human race. And this affirmation, this, this stanza in the great invocation affirms that to the extent that human beings take responsibility to build the shrine of human living, so will this plan, this future possibility become real and work out. And in the process, seal the door where evil dwells, which is the glamours and illusions of human thinking and human desire. The fifth stanza reads, let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. It is a summation of the preceding four, and it affirms, perhaps one can even say commands, the consummation of the process which the entire invocation embodies. It focuses the preceding four stanzas into one final demand, the plan of God, work out on earth in all three of its divine aspects, light, love, and power, and through the medium of humanity. Dom, Dominic, or, or, or Minza, can we hear from you, please? You may. <laughs> Can't see my video, but uh, anyway. Yeah, well, we can see you. I can see you. Okay. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> Well, I'm kind of speechless after that beautiful presentation, <laughs> I have to say. You, you've, <clears throat> both of you have illuminated the theme beautifully. Um, I sometimes think, I, I don't know, this is just my own personal opinion, but I sometimes think that... Uh, if all of the Alice Bailey books disappeared and only all that was left was the Great Invocation, I think the whole teaching's in there somewhere. And I think that's that is is the great invocation in a sense that it 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 somehow <clears throat> it summarizes, it, it condenses some of the most important key concepts in the Ageless Wisdom in a beautiful mantric prayer. And that's the other thing that I think that's, uh, I keep coming back to when I think about the Great Invocation um, is the, Tibet, the Tibetan's words when he says that <clears throat> the way to use it is to assume the attitude of meditation. The man must, the man, the woman, the person must assume the attitude of meditation. Then he must pray. 
And that it's a prayer and, and therefore it connects mind and heart. And I think um, what both you and Michael uh, were saying illuminated how that, that great chain of minds and hearts is interwoven, is built um, by the, the simple repetition of a number of short phrases, which we're told is originally seven ancient word forms. We don't know what they are, but I feel that's the other thing that's interesting and perhaps quite significant. I know, I know that uh, when it was decided to adapt the Great Invocation, it was a big decision in, in the trust at the time. I remember there was a lot of, you know, a lot of talking about it. And, and, when, and when we sent it out and it was received and there was a lot of response from people and it was an interesting, challenging, but I think very significant event. And I think it was a very important evolutionary event if you like, for the, the trust's work. That's my sense. So um, I think I've said enough for now. If Mincer wants to say something, I know he had, you had some thoughts about translation as well, Mincer. Is yes, that? thank you very much for this uh, very illuminating introduction from both, well, for all three of you. Um, one thing is the we, we we Michael used and in this webinar we used the adapted uh, version. Um, I think it's clear from the explanation which was given that uh, doing the great invocation, if you want to call it like that, is actually an energetic process. And what is important is to keep the energy, to keep the intention of the invocation intact despite uh, adaptations or translations. First a remark on the adaptation, I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, human consciousness is evolving. I think at the time the Tibetan gave the, 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 it's the third uh, version of the great invocation. When he gave it, nobody really bothered about the precise uh, framing of the words. Um, since then, consciousness has evolved, and as you know, uh, it gave rise to an adaptation. Um, we in Geneva, we have to translate that into different languages. And just to give you uh, an impression that that's not easy, Alice Bailey mentioned it in her uh, unfinished autobiography. In certain languages, you don't have a word for the word of mind in German, in Dutch, in French, there is no equivalent of mind. So what, what did we do? Well, as I said, it is an energetic process. So we try to keep the energy, the intent of the words the same. And um, we try to do the best uh, as we can to, to translate the, the Great Invocation in different languages. As you know, it has been translated into dozens of other languages. And um, at a certain point, there was a translation in Slovenian, and, and there were three different groups 
translating three different versions of the Great Invocation. Now that is of course a tricky point. So we could get them around the table and uh, we agreed upon one invocation. And so now all people in all people who are drawn to it um, uh, use the same one. So I think it is important to realize that, that even now uh, things are still changing. Um, as you know, in the original, in the original version, there is the, the race of man. Now that has already been, been changed in the human race, but in French, you, in French it is called la race humaine. Excuse my French, but and that's becoming the word race in French is becoming a very tricky word. As again, because um, because the conscious human consciousness, unfortunately, human consciousness is evolving. So we are becoming more sensitive to the subtleties of language, which I think is a good thing. And I think it is our task um, to adapt to the, the the current state of consciousness without losing uh, the inner sense and the inner energy of the of the invocation. I think that's about my contribution. I had another one, but I want first to give the, the floor to a discussion because otherwise we would take too much time. So thank you. Thank you, Mintz. Thank you, Dominic. And it, it's true this, um, to me, what, what's valuable in all of this is the, is the conversation itself, because that is what um, shines the light of the group on understanding these words, even the word human race, race, human race. What a great thing to really ponder. It's an issue. But now let's open it up and hear from, I can see names and faces. You can um, contribute through the chat box or you can raise your hand and raising your hand is either done through reactions um, or there'll be an option um, in the to raise your hand or possibly in if you go to the participants um, section and you'll see at the bottom of the participant section an option opportunity to raise your hand so we look forward to hearing from reflections on world of vacation day Christelle comments that um, also in French, and I imagine in other languages as well, it's difficult to translate the coming one. And Janice writes um, that she uses the original version, all are free to suit themselves, I'm not disturbed by the gender neutral change, but I think removing Christ was a significant change, although I couldn't be called a traditional Christian myself at any rate, perhaps intention is what matters. Interesting. There is a question from Clint Galvin. Is there a combination of words that is used for mind in those languages? The concept must exist in some way. Yes and no. In Dutch, um, I, I am Dutch, from origin, in Dutch, we simply invented a word which doesn't exist. So everybody who reads the blue books knows it's called, excuse me, Denkvermogen. It's, it's, everybody who reads the blue books knows what you mean by that. But if you don't read the blue books, 
you you may guess what it is so it is a description in french it's it's easier in french we have mental which is mental and sometimes you use it for the higher mental sometimes you lose it for the lower mental it depends on the context a lot in languages depends on context so if you put it out of context it it's difficult and there's even no point in discussing it but once you put the words in their context and that's the the whole the whole art of translating uh, then the the real meaning the energetic meaning can be conveyed and that that's what we're trying to do i'd just like to add at this point that uh, it's interesting that uh, <clears throat> recently we there's been some translation work done on the Great Invocation into Japanese and into Chinese, um, which I think are both very significant languages to be translating into, particularly regarding what the Tibetan says about triangles and the Great Invocation and 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 to, the Tokyo Center. Um, and I just and I think in Chinese the phrase that was chosen is actually the world teacher instead of the coming one so again it's a cultural thing it's 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 the consciousness and and also one has to also bear in mind the actual political context into which uh, a prayer of that potency has been launched as well and in fact that the chinese translation effort was led from hong kong so you know there are a significant thing, but I think there's a couple of things in the chat which we should uh, look at as well. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody asks about the, if the, the numerology of the Great Invocation has ever been done. When translated or adapted, does the numerology change or stay the same? Does changing the Great Invocation change the vibration of the mantram? Well, in answer to the last part, that was one of the things that was certainly reflected upon when the, the adaptation was made um, but it was I think it was generally decided that if there was any reduction in mantric potency it was compensated for by the the spreading out the the, the widening of its appeal um, the numerology there is in fact I think a couple of books is that right there's, there's one there's one main book the um, mm -hmm. by gosh I've forgotten yeah, the vessel, uh, the sacred vessel, the mysteries. Yeah, the yeah. sacred vessel. Yeah, yeah. Um, it goes into the numerology. Yeah. Yes. And of and of course, the numerology is different in different languages. Oh, absolutely. Completely absolutely. different. So, in a way, this is a relationship between human creativity and a divine revelation—a revelation from the Tibetan um, who who reached into these unknown stanzas. And it's not surprising that there's certain changes taking place as human consciousness changes. Um, to me, it's the process that matters and the, the, the degree of thought that goes into it and the sort of the, 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 uh, the, the will to not interfere with this rhythmic potency with things like sound rhythm mm. um and those are all challenges to all of us involved in using the great invocation because it's a living thing in a way the invocation today is different from the invocation when dk gave it 
when it was first used. The whole environment of th thought within which we're operating now is a different environment. And so we hold responsibility. No hands raised. There are some comments in the chat. Oh, there's a very beautiful thought from Heidi Kunkler, which she said many years ago, I got a postcard with a great invocation from a good old friend. She didn't know what to do with it. I used it immediately. The great invocation changed my life. And very soon I found the arcane school. Indeed. To, to bounce back on that, I, I want to make my second comment still because it, it's in the same line. It, it's about a co-worker here in Geneva uh, who left the trust years ago, it must have been in the 60s, but who, he continued to do his work and he, he attended a lot of meetings at the UN. And at one of the meetings, he came into discussion with a diplomat. And of course, uh, during that discussion, the diplomat discovered that he had a, a spiritual background. So the diplomat, he draw his wallet and out of his wallet, he draw a little card. And on that card was the Great Invocation. So anywhere where he would go, he would go with that card of the Great Invocation. Just to say, it is important that we do distribute the Great Invocation in all sure. forms possible. Because it can change humans, uh, the, the life of, of anyone. Absolutely. And also the environment. I remember from recently when I was in Nigeria a couple of years ago in um, Port Harcourt, hmm. someone making the comment that every day in their office, this person used the Great Invocation silently hmm. and noted the incredible change in the climate and um, atmosphere in the office, the sort of mental atmosphere, but the whole environment of human relationship changed by using the Great Invocation. I love that sort of targeted use of the invocation because wherever we are, any environment is both sort of like it's intimate to ourselves, but it's universal. This is the human, this is the plan of love and light working out. So the whole demand for higher energy to flow requires us to step forward to take initiatives. And there's on the point of distribution, there's a comment from uh, <clears throat> uh, Isikin Ogboro, just to link us back to, to last mm -hmm. month. Uh, she highlights the fact that the World Invocation Day, it was published in the Guardian newspaper of the 25th of May to create awareness of the use of the Great Invocation in Nigeria. And I know that that's an ongoing thing that every year, a great sacrifice, because we're, we're not talking a small advert, we're talking double page advert usually <clears throat> in, in uh, a newspaper in Nigeria. So that's a beautiful way to spread that recognition. It's wonderful. And I, to me, we can take inspiration from Isakin and Dax and all the co-workers, all the group of co-workers in, in units of service in Nigeria, um, just with the thought of the value of making the great invocation known, particularly on World Invocation Day, so that people have a chance to see it. I mean, for those of us who use it, you know, have been using it for decades of our life, it's so central a part of who we are. Um, and this is reached right outside of 
um, different Ellis Bailey groups. It's there are many groups that use it, who some of which have no relationship to Ellis Bailey, but most people, including most really enlightened meditators and servers have never even seen the great invocation or had a chance to be exposed to it. And the only way that's going to happen is by us taking initiative. Um, and World Invocation Day is a really good time to do it. And it's not either or. It's not that you either externalize the work and do nothing subjectively. We're human beings. We can work. We, 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 we walk with two legs. There's <laughs> not one or the other. There's one question here uh, that would be worth, there's so many, I just lost it, from Gracia Villa. She says, hello, I came across Alice Bailey books and the Great Invocation fairly recently. As a beginner in this wisdom teachings, do you use this prayer regularly on your daily spiritual practice? Um, I mean, I guess I can only really answer for myself, but I, def I use it daily, uh, sometimes even more than once daily in my own spiritual practice. And I think um, a lot of people do choose to do that. I know the Tibetan also suggests that, uh, actually, I don't want to say that because I'm not positive this is true, but <laughs> so I don't want to delete, delete that. Some people use a great invocation also at uh, sunrise and sunset every day. And that's a, that's also a, a, a suggestion that we could, uh, we could, we could take to use great invocation those times. And just to enter that, we also do have the Triangle uh, Initiative, where three people oh, yeah. use it daily in, in a very powerful way. Yes. But, but, but as, a, as, a, as a simple thing for anyone, yes, regular use of the Great Invocation every day, even if you were doing nothing else, because it sets up a rhythm of relationship with the soul and the personality. And... It does that, and at the same time, it relates you to humanity because the what you're invoking is not for yourself, it's for humanity. However, that, of course, changes the whole environment, the whole psychological and psychic and subtle environment of the self, as well as contributing to humanity. So, and, and for any spiritual path, um, the great invocation is... It's a way of serving humanity. There's a follow-up there from Gracia Villa saying, how do you create a triangle? Is it a triangle of the souls? Um, I think one would say yes, because the, the linking is, is a subjective one and the work is done as a group initiative and it's done for the benefit of humanity, as Steve has said. So in that sense, it is definitely a soul activity so and oh. and and in terms of how to um form one if you what i suggest you do is you go to um triangles.org on the website and you'll find there information about how you can form a triangle more about what it is um it's a simple practice it's such a lovely thing to do because it's like with three people share to form as if you're forming one invocation, as you say, three souls. There's a hand up from Emmanuel Sakifio. Um, Before Emmanuel goes really quick, um, I just want to say also the Triangles webinar occurs every Monday 
at 3 p.m. Eastern time, 8 p.m. British summertime, and 9 p.m., which is 2100 hours in Central Europe. That's a great way if you want to become more, uh, more introduced to the triangles work, you can just go to triangles.org and join the webinar that way. Sorry, go ahead, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, I'm asking you. Hello? Yes. Do you hear me? We do. Very good. Concerning the translation, uh, I was very surprised when I saw the great invocation in my tribal language, in Ghana. Uh, a group from Ghana, you know, they lived in the, in the capital. It was so interesting. And after a while, I said I was going to try to improve upon it after speaking with some people. And then I was trying to look for the word for invocation in the Ga language. And I searched, I searched, and I couldn't find any. So I adapted it to a call. So it became like the great call. And then we were, make, we were having a discussion and, and Steve indirectly had said that not in relationship with that situation, but he has said all the ancient cultures had invocation. So I went back as a hint. I said, well, you know, there must be something. And then I realized there's a word for invocation, but it was so remote that it did not even occurred to me, even though I've used that word again and again and again. And it is interesting also how in the ancient times where maybe the wisdom religion was approached from the point of magic, how the magician had to prepare before he or she performs an invocation. He or she has to draw a magic circle, pentagrams with candlesticks. He has to wear his magic robe. He has to go into his temple and he must have the magic wand, the magic sword, the cup, the, 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 the four representation of the, the earth element, the fire element, the water element and the air element. And they were so, it was so physical. And then the actual performance of the invocation using the magical word. And now we have lifted it all up onto the mental plane that we have left all those physical things and we have lifted it up onto the mental plane and it has become globally accessible, easily performed, Many times within an hour, you can say it anywhere, it has become almost universal. And it's a great, it's a great leap into light. Another anecdote. I lost an aunt some time ago and she loved the great invocation. And she was a member of the Riverside Church in New York City. And the Riverside Church wanted to celebrate her life. And 
I had mentioned to some uncles of mine that she loved the great invocation and it would be appropriate to, to, to include that in the flyer that would be given by the Riverside Church in New York City. So they had gone to the meeting and they had mentioned the great invocation and the presiding ministers wanted to know what it was about. What, what is this invocation? And, and, and so I had to go there to explain to them. And when I said the great invocation, you could see they were kind of suspicious. What is this? And so I said, well, let, I will let you hear the great invocation and then I'll give you copies for you to decide if it could be included in the Riverside Church flyer. So I gently recited the great invocation when I finished said, it was all right, you can include it. <laughs> and then it was included in the flyer. So on the day of the celebration, the whole Riverside Church and everybody who had come, and my aunt was very popular, everybody was there getting to the end, reciting the great invocation in the Riverside Church. It was beautiful. Beautiful, Emmanuel. I think that's what that's the vision we need to hold for the future, where all these and all different faiths, like the Riverside Church, for those who are not New Yorkers, it's a it's a, it's a big, famous. It's a very um, it's one of the very sort of well known large churches um, with a long history, um, and um, has been a very has been a center of sort of progressive spiritual thought. Um, so that's a very significant story. Thank you very much for that. But that's, that's the future where this, this great invocation, so imagine the sound will be such a, like in, 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 in widespread religious circles, as Dom says, as a prayer, um, this prayer will rise forth. And that's what we're working towards. I think we, we're, um, we're about out of time. Thank you, friends. And World Invocation Day, that as Emmanuel said, um, it's the opportunity today to really use the Great Invocation throughout the day, several times, um, more than we would normally do it perhaps, knowing that it's being used all over the world and being used in hierarchy. So thank you, friends, for that. And um, don't forget, for those who are interested, the Arcane School Conference will be held this weekend. The final session will be broadcast from London. Um, there's For school students, there's a session on Friday, and you should already have information about that. And for the sort of open public sessions are on Saturday and Sunday, and you can find information about those by going to if you go to lucistrust.org, um, you'll very quickly find your way to the conference, the Arcane School Conference. So we look forward to um, you joining there and we'll link together with you there. And next Monday is the next Triangles webinar. You can find information about that again at triangles.org, I assume slash webinar. Um, and we will be linking together in this group, this grouping um, 
in a month's time on the last Wednesday of June. Thank you, friends. And just one last final point. It's worth remembering this year is a slightly unusual year insofar as today on World Invocation Day is also for most Buddhists being observed as Waisak. So we can imagine that this use, repeated use of the Great Invocation resonates together with the prayers and invocations arising from the Buddhist community all over the world, uh, where there will be ceremonies all over the world for um, Waisak and also ceremonies at the United Nations. So thank you, friends. Bye-bye. <laughs>